welcome to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Jessica Humphreys, joined today by Harry Edwards to reflect on a 4-1 win over Paris FC. Chelsea get their first Champions League win of the season, which feels weird to say because mentally in my head we did still beat Real Madrid. Harry, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining me. I'm good, thanks. Good, good to be back on. It's been too long. Couldn't yeah, last time I was on, but it's been, it's been a while, so... Happy to be back. Thank you for joining us again. Um, I think the overriding feeling for me from this match is amused satisfaction because I guess, you know, when we got drawn against Paris, there was all this stuff that they'd obviously knocked out Arsenal and Wolfsburg. And I did have a sneaking suspicion that we still might make quite light work of it, but... To see it play out in the way it did, I think, was very satisfying. I will say, I th- think you could tell why teams struggled against Paris FC, and there were points in this game where where we struggled, but it felt like we just maybe had that sort of confidence and quality in what we were doing that other teams didn't. And, yeah, Emma Hayes's bus firmly ran over the, the grim reaper that was Paris. Yeah, it feels like, well, it felt like even more than normal, fans were wanting Chelsea to lose. You know, you've got the normal level of teams wanting us to lose, but now because obviously what Paris had knocked out Arsenal, Wolfsburg, they're almost maybe not an expectation of Chelsea to lose, but there was that extra will just to add Chelsea's name to that to that list. Yeah, I definitely think that that feeling of people want to have their results justified, and I think obviously for Arsenal, when Wolfsburg then lost, that became like a bit of a justification of of why, not necessarily like of why they lost, but like, okay, this isn't just like an absolutely random team. And I think, you know, then you get to games against Chelsea and you, you want the same thing to happen. Um, but I will say, I do think to be fair, like there there are points where I thought you could see exactly why what Paris do causes other teams to be rattled. And it's going to be really interesting to see them when they play Real Madrid, because we'll chat about the rest of the Champions League results a bit later, but BK Hecken did beat Real Madrid 2-1, which obviously is a really big thing for this group. And Real Madrid looked like they, they could be in a bit of trouble because I really I think the way they play, they'll really struggle up against Paris. Um, but let's go into some three-word match reviews. Rob comes in with... This is, this is more of a visual three-word match review, I've got to say. I'm going to try and do it justice. Rob says, cannons less than... Wolves less than Lions. Um, Ishan says Arsenal could never. Then we've got a lot of Sam Kerr themed ones, unsurprisingly. Up the trail says Captain Sam Kerr. Amy says Magic Captain's armband. Meg says Kerr is inevitable. Um, Jack says trust in Sam. Caden says ice cold Kerr. I'm going to go along a similar line here, Harry. I'm going to go with even at 80% because... Kerr's hat-trick, obviously the standout sort of from this game. I think her performance is, is the one that, that really like caught everyone's attention. And Hayes sort of was saying after the game that... It, I couldn't quite figure out if the quote was like she was saying Sam is actually at 80% or just if people are like, this is Sam at 80%. Um, but yeah, I mean, regardless, I think everyone knows that Sam's maybe not as fit and firing as she could be, um, but she's certainly firing at the very least. Um, what's your three-word match review? I'm following the theme of Kerr. I was torn between two. It was either the Samantha will score to play on the <laughs> Samantha make um, Kerr joke, but I think I'm going to go just for $2 million. 
which is the the video of what she said when she was um into Millie Millie Bright's microphone saying Emma Hayes I need two million dollars <laughs> Give it to her. <laughs> That's a great throwback. I'd forgotten about that video. Uh, but yeah, like, honestly, I, I would just throw the bag at her at this point. Let's talk about the game then. So, yes, there was a Sam Kerr hat trick as Chelsea won 4 1. Kerr put us ahead on the 30th minute before Thea Gribeval equalised um, in the 38th, a uh, looping header from a corner. Um, so we went in at half time 1 1. Then in the second half, Kerr scored second on 48 minutes. I cannot confirm that I might have still been on the concourse having a beer at that point. Um, and then she finished off her hat-trick in the 55th. Sophie Ingle getting the fourth goal in added time. Quick look at the lineups then. So Chelsea had AKB in goal. Um, back three-ish in the way it always is of Ashley Lawrence, Kanisha Buchanan, Jess Carter. Kanner and Neve Charles is the sort of wing-backs. Shurkanuskan, Aaron Cuthbert and Jesse Fleming in the midfield with Lauren James and Sam Kerr. Harry, I guess the big thing that stood out from this is that Emma Hayes is a liar, Millie Bright was not fine, <laughs> and she did not play in this game. <laughs> yeah, I think we should all know by now that Emma Hayes' 50% chance of playing means no, no <laughs> chance at all. Yeah, it's... I think the worry, a little bit about what's wrong with her, I think at the weekend it was she was rested in Emma Hayes' words, weren't she? It wasn't there wasn't any injury. And there's been no news of it really. So it's just it's a position we've been in so many times with Chelsea, it's annoying. And I think it got to Millie a bit, because I know some Chelsea fans with um Lloyd Pulse's absence, you know, playing into it, is is she pregnant again and someone Photo or brought up an old Photoshop of Millie Bright holding a pregnancy scan. That even she said, "Look, you need to stop with these rumours." Not defending the rumours, but just give us the team news. Just give us your injury details, and you know they'll stop. Yeah, I do. I do agree that it was funny Millie telling that person to stop. But um, I do agree. It kind of feels like the person Millie should talk to if she doesn't want this kind of stuff is Emma Hayes. Um, because it is kind of crazy that we're sort of in this position whereby we don't really know why Melanie Leupoltz is out. I don't understand why we haven't managed to get that sort of question answered by someone in a press conference yet, but um, who knows? And there's not a press conference before the Leicester game, so we're not going to find out still until at least potentially after the international break at this rate. Um, yeah, Millie, I mean, Millie, I guess, is a bit of a different one in terms of like, Hayes is just outright making it up. Um, you know, clearly when she said she was just sort of resting her, that like wasn't quite true. It wasn't just like some some time off. It was interesting, I thought, that she was at the bridge for the Liverpool game, but she wasn't there last night, or certainly at least I didn't see her. If she was sitting somewhere else, she was hiding. Um, similarly, Elaine Chankovic has sort of disappeared without a trace as well <laughs> in the way Chelsea players are want to do. So yeah, lots of like sort of question marks on, on fitness and availability. Um, what did you make of the decision for Buchanan to come in and, and play this game? Because I think that was the real notable thing about this lineup. I feel like after the Liverpool game, I certainly expected Marin to play, uh, particularly given that, you know, she had the, the captaincy. Obviously, Sam Kerr took it in the end uh, last night. But it was a big it was a big test, I think, for, for Kadisha, given how, how little she's played this season. Yeah, so when 
the team news came out, like I looked at um my first thought was oh, Buchanan's come in for, for the Champions League experience. But then I look back at my stats and she didn't play against Real Madrid. So it's 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 not just that. And it was just a, a third appearance, second start of the season. Um so once I had seen that she, well remember that she didn't start last week, I just, I, I get it, but I didn't get it <laughs> in a weird way. Um and I think no one really had a good start to the game, but I think there were signs that we've seen over the last year that Buchanan's not, I don't know, something's just not clicked for her at Chelsea yet. Maybe it's managing um, Mjolder's minutes rather than picking Buchanan for that particular game. And I guess she favours Buchanan over Nick Nauer, but... I think once again we're stuck with centre backs. You know, we've got we've got the two or three that Emma Hayes really fancies, really likes. And then after that, we're kind of a bit a bit light at the back. Yeah, it's it's a strange position to be in and I totally agree. And I I was talking to someone the other day sort of about, you know, whether Chelsea should sort of like have centre back targets and who they should be looking at. But when Millie Bright and Jess Carter are fit. You're just like, okay, fine. They're they're the first choices, and Marimelda is clearly good enough to still do a job. But yes, I equally I feel like playing maybe twice in a week is beyond her at this point, and that's maybe why I saw Kadisha. Anik now, and I just think is not up to it. And maybe in a world where Emma Hayes wasn't leaving, I still expect that at some point suddenly she'd magically become amazing, the way Hayes sometimes makes players. But I think we can you know expect that not to happen now. And then Buchanan's in this weird position where I'm like. She's clearly not a bad player, but like you say, it just feels like it hasn't fit. So it's like it's not like we're short on centre backs. We've got five in the squad, um, and you know, especially when you count the fact that sort of like Eve's playing in this more tucked in role, like that's clearly something that she can do as well. But at the same time, it feels like we're very thin just because two of those centre backs in Buchanan and Now just don't really feel like they're players that can be relied on. I mean, now one must be like the only player like yet to have played a minute this season, aside from Hannah Hampton at this point. So all of that stuff is, is a bit strange. Um, look at the stats from the, from the game. So obviously it finished four one, but it was pretty even really on, on the stats. So apart from the XG, uh, Chelsea had 10 shots to Paris's nine, six on target to their five, 62% possession, uh, 10 fouls to their 11, one yellow card to their none. Um, they had four offsides and we had zero, uh, three corners to their two. And the XG was Chelsea had 2.6 and they had 0.7. So kind of an even performance sort of on the basic stats. But when you dig into those underlying numbers, Chelsea clearly created better chances. Um, and Harry, I know we had some good sort of milestones that you've been tweeting out. Yeah, so the... the... I wasn't really expecting it to come last night, but the one that I had my eyes on was the 900th goal under Emma Hayes, which was Sam Kerr's hat-trick goal. Um, a lot of people in reply to that are aiming for a 1,000, but let's be, I don't think we're scoring another 99 before the end of the season, You know, unless unless we get like a third or fourth tier side in the FA Cup, I think. I think we'll be short on that. And then one that I um, realised this morning... I do just keep these on spreadsheets, not as has been described as a BBC Sherlock style mind palace. <laughs> um, that Sam Kurt, so the first goal we scored last night was our 100th in the Champions League. So it's a nice, nice little night, night of milestones. And yeah, it was good, good evening overall. 
Yeah, definitely. Always nice to to tick those off. And I think, you know, feels fitting for Kerr to, to score sort of both of those goals uh, in terms of, um, you know, her importance to, to the club and, and all she's done over the past couple of seasons. I do recommend going and looking on Harry's Twitter so you can see who's scored at the sort of 100, 200, 300, 400 mark in Emma Hayes. It's quite fun reading, uh, really. Um, but we'll take a quick break here and then when we come back, we'll, we'll have a bit of a dive into the game itself. So, Harry, I think this was a game which felt like it started off quite slow. I don't know how much the attendance maybe affected that. I'm going to do a quick chat about attendance because... I want to get it out of the way. Um, Chelsea set a cap of 5,000 on this game. That is because if they have one more person there than 5,000, they have to pay a whole chunk of extra money and stuff to the council to get the road closed. This is different from the Emirates. The Emirates is quite set back. It's got lots of different entrance points. It's quite um, it's easily accessible from lots of different sort of modes of transport in London, whereas Stamford Bridge, if you haven't been, sits basically right on a main road next to one tube station. So there's a lot lower in terms of like when it becomes a big event um, because of the number of people that come through. Even so, there was then this bizarre thing where it was like the game was sold out, but then there was only three and a half thousand people there. Not really sure what happened there, but it was what it was. They put everyone on one side because they thought it'd be a better atmosphere than having everyone dotted around. Um, I think they thought they were going to switch the cameras around, but they didn't. So that's the attendance thing. But I do wonder, Harry, if that maybe is why we sort of had this like quite slow start. There certainly wasn't this like big feeling of, ooh, this is a, a Champions League game. Um, the weird thing about having so few people in big stadiums is that you kind of go back to that feeling of like when it was like COVID. And I think every game in that period like took on a bit of a weird like ethereal um, casualness. Yeah, I think over the years when Arsenal started to play at the Emirates more and the, the talk of playing at Stamford Bridge became more prevalent, Emma and the players were always saying, no, we want to play at Kings Meadow. We like playing there. We like the fans being close. We like the noise that they make. And I think it's, it's not rocket science that was it three and a half thousand fans in a 4,000 seat capacity stadium the noise is a lot different to three three thousand five hundred stands in like forty thousand seats so it's also another reason why i was always not against moving to stamp playing at stanford bridge but hesitant i think would be the right word i i i think it's a slow build we haven't got some of the factors that arsenal have i won't go into that because i can't be bothered but like i think we all know that there are differences and yeah it's like you said with the cameras, if you if you didn't know there were fans there, if you would say if you were watching on mute, you'd think, oh, they're, why are they playing in front of absolute like no one? It, it's always been a a downside of playing at Stamford Bridge that the um, cameras show the West Stand, and they they never if they sell they only really sell the bottom tier. Yes, yeah, I think there's a reason why. They like playing at uh, Kings Meadow for the fans. I think there's also it's uh, against Liverpool at the weekend. The start was fairly slow. I think we've been starting slow most of our games this season. Um, but yeah, I do think that fans and 
the atmosphere, the situation probably played played some part in it because the start wasn't just a slow 15 minutes. Like the whole first half was just not at the level that we're used to. Yeah, I, the Liverpool games actually like feels like quite an interesting comparison because I think it was, yeah, similarly like a slow start, we sort of go ahead, but then like pretty quickly get pegged back rather than kicking on in the game. For me, it felt like it was very typical Paris. The way Paris like to play is they put a lot of pressure on the midfield and they keep quite a lot of players higher up the pitch. And so that if they turn the ball over, they're ready to have like strong counterattacks. And it was interesting because I think before this game, I was like, okay, so what would my ideal midfield be? And this kind of was my ideal midfield, but it just didn't work how I thought it maybe would. Because I felt like I didn't think Sophie Ingle was going to be the right fit because I do think sometimes she can get overrun. She's not necessarily as quick as she was. Although I will say against Liverpool, I thought she was a lot better at doing that kind of thing. Um, but I thought in terms of sort of having... Cuthbert, Nuskin and Fleming, you'd have sort of three players who were ready to, you know, counter press and win the ball back immediately if, if Chelsea lost it. As it was, it felt like to me, Harry, that Cuthbert sort of ended up the only person in the midfield. And I don't know whether this was sort of as a result of our pressing structure, that Fleming and Nuskin were like ending up pressing quite high. And so then if the ball turned over past them, Erin was just sort of on her own. But like it felt like even if Erin had the ball, there weren't always like obvious options around her. And it just meant that it wasn't even that like Paris were putting loads of pressure on. It's just like no one had control of the ball. Like, you know, during the World Cup, the Men's World Cup, they had the stats where it was like possession stats, but it was like they had a third category where it was like, like both teams sort of had a lot of that's That's how almost all the first half felt like to me. Yeah, and I think one of the problems is through I think when you put Jesse Fleming in the team she's obviously there to be the main presser she's running up alongside Sam Kerr or whoever the striker is to to push high but Niskan is also a similar role maybe not on the press as much but she's obviously trying to play that box-to-box role so there are times where like you said her and Fleming are going to be pushed so high up the pitch that that Erin's just going to be looking like looking around her as, as if Where's the midfield gone? And I think there were so like so many times in the game last night where you see that the midfield just wasn't there. Um, I think Fleming and Niskan were slow in getting back to help um, Cuthbert with the ball. And I think the, the the passing was poor. The midfield was just slow in general. Um, it's weird because I think midfield's been one of our weakest positions. As a as a general, um, recently, obviously, it's the one that fans were wanting to for the signings to come in. You know, we've got Nuskin and she's done well, but there's still something not right. I don't whether that's tactical because obviously with all these different players coming in, and I agree that I don't think Ingle would would have been the right fit to start. I think she's quite she's not the best at passing under pressure in front of her own box. Um, which Paris would have looked to exploit more. And I think quite a few of their early chances came from turning the ball over in the midfield, whether that's just putting um, Cuthbert under pressure and t- tackling her or reading her passes. Like I said, there weren't really to anyone because there was no one there. 
Um, so I, I think it was the right midfield, just just no connection between between the defence and midfield and the midfield and the attack. Yeah, I felt like for me, this was a game where like Chankovic would have been really useful and sort of before she disappeared, we've seen her come in and play that eight role quite a lot. But just as a player who sort of has the ability to to win back the ball, but also to find a pass. And I mean, equally, again, the, you know, the where has Melanie Leupold's thing gone is, is similar. I think she's a similar kind of player who would have maybe offered a different profile, whereas at the moment we're sort of playing, kind of like you said, three quite similar profiles in that position, even though I think Erin's like fantastic at the base of midfield. Um, even then, I would say the skills that she's got are match quite closely to what Nuskin and Fleming can do. Um, so I do think it's been sort of hard for Chelsea to figure out um, exactly where that that balance kind of comes from. Um, Paris attacked a lot down there, down their right, our left as well. I thought LJ had a really good game in terms of sort of defensive work. Um, I thought her and Neve worked really well together, and sort of as time went on, you also saw her start to get forward. She had a big miss um which ruined my lj's always amazing at stanford bridge narrative until she then had an amazing assist um which i thought felt very like i think i described it in my athletic piece as sort of like the ghost of the assist from a liverpool game because it was kind of like she comes inside but it's that same thing where it's like the ball's going into the box and then sort of suddenly the the player's there to finish it off it also reminded me of because there because it was like seven years or eight years since Marimiel signed, there was a lot of videos of her goal against PSG, which is a very similar, I think, kind of goal where Karen Carney sort of like cuts in and then puts that ball into the box and it feels like almost no one's there until Mielda runs onto it. Um, but I thought this was like an amazing assist and Kerr does really well to to get on the end of it and it, it was a really good goal. Yeah, like you, I had a bit of a Lauren James at Stanford Bridge narrative, ready to go. She did so... <laughs> She scored four goals at Stamford Bridge this season, which is the same amount as Raheem Sterling. So I just needed <laughs> to score one more to be, you know, the Chelsea player with the most goals at Stamford Bridge. She didn't get it, but... That would have been amazing. Yeah, That's that really... Was... I'm really sad that didn't happen. But yeah, I think it was a a, a good, like... We weren't bad up, up until that point, but we weren't really creating, like, great chances. I don't... Not that I can remember. Um, I think Kerr was quite isolated in the first you know, 20, 20 minutes of the game. It wasn't her fault. And I think that was the midfield's problem. Um yeah, it was one of, I think it was one of those those crosses as well where the goalkeeper, you don't know what to do because it was curling towards goal. I I don't think it obviously wasn't going top corner or anything, but the goalkeeper can't commit to saving it because you know that there's going to be a play, or she can probably see Sam Kerr coming in. The defender, don't know what the defender's doing, not realising that Sam Kerr's behind her. Like, of all the people in the world defending those crosses, if you know you're playing against Sam Kerr, you're looking for Sam Kerr. And it was a good run to get to get the ball ahead of the defender. It was a 20th team she scored against for Chelsea, um, which Quite nice for it to be. I think the last two new teams were in the Champions League. She rounded last week as well, and I think there's been a lot of questions about her in the Champions League, and maybe it's a discussion for another day how effective she has been. I think that she's now at, including in the hat trick, thirteen group stage goals, which is the most. But she didn't score in the knockout stages last year. 
actually we didn't make it the year before. It's, I think it was a nice moment for her, and it showed that, like you said earlier, eighty percent Sam Kerr is still better than ninety percent of strikers in the world. Yeah, I think the the thing around the defender, like I agree, but also at this point, I'm like, that's just like Sam. Like her movement is so good that it just feels like defenders do just really struggle. I think just because her movement is very like unpredictable, like she'll find like find she's happy to drop off she'll make different runs um and like she'll try things out and I think that's what defenders really struggle with because like unless like it's a bit like you're saying like at the same time you're trying to like mark the space because you don't want her to run into it but like so you don't want to man mark her but then if you don't man mark her she'll make a run and then and then you've lost her um I felt at this point I was like ah relax now this is going to be easy um, but we continued to not really have much control of the ball. It didn't. The goal didn't really feel like it settled us down in the way that I thought it would. And we did then end up conceding from a corner, which was like a really annoying way to concede. It was like quite a deep ball. And then the defender's running in and it's this sort of weird looping header and AKB's like nowhere. And Jess sort of like heads it, in, it into the goal, but it was already going in. Um, do you feel like, my kind of thing was I sort of felt like Chelsea was sort of missing that real physical presence in the box without Bright. And I know we sort of talked about the centre-backs already, but we didn't really touch on that. I do think that's something that I feel like without Millie, like in the box, we're a bit more lightweight. Yeah, that was my first thought, the the absence of Millie. Um, and it was, so I was, I was watching back this morning. Um, so it was the scorer went to Buchanan and then put, like read the flight of the ball and moved back. But then she ended up um, contesting for the ball with it was basically Erin Cuthbert and Jesse Fleming surrounded by three players. And I, I went on the Chelsea website this morning to get the, the heights. You got Cuthbert five foot three and Jesse Fleming five foot five. Like for them to expect them to win aerial jewels in the box from the corner. See, Buchanan's 5'7", Millie Bright's 5'9". Even those two inches can make can make a difference, and especially with I think with Millie, she doesn't feel like she's 5'9". Like she feels like she's 6'2", because of how she uses her, her height, her frame. She, she's quite a strong defender as well. You know that if the ball's coming to the box, she's going to clear it. Like she, If she was there, she'd have probably read the ball and, and won that header. Um, I think last night, Paris knew that we'd be weak from set pieces. I think they had a couple more, um, nothing overly dangerous, but a couple more that they tested us a bit, um, from, from, like free kicks and that. And maybe not just height as well, leadership, like the organisation of... Um, of the defence, I think there's a lot of questions. In, I'm not blaming anything on Sam Kerr, but there's a lot of questions, I think, in football in general, that having your captain as a centre-back or someone further back than like a striker. And obviously, if you've got a leader who can command the defence, I think Jess is getting better at it, but maybe not as good as we'd want her to be. And if she's on the post, she's not in like in the middle of the box. Yeah, I think this is just a long-winded way of saying, yeah, we miss Millie Bright. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's definitely one of those things where, as you say, in, in terms of the heights of some of the rest of the team, it, it 
feels hard in those kind of situations but also you just want to see greater organization in those things but ultimately as well for me it comes back to this question of and of control and I think when Chelsea have been at their best like that's what I really liked about the Real Madrid performance was like you don't concede even the opportunities to score like that if you're in control of the ball and I think that's why it was so it felt like that midfield struggle was so key in terms of like how this game was playing out because it was like Paris like repeatedly felt like they had opportunities to score um so Hayes did sort of make a midfield change at half time. Kirby came on for Jesse Fleming and we will get into the second half after this. So I think given that we scored three goals in this half, it it does it's easy to be like, oh, it sort of settled down, but like it actually starts off with this like massive save from Anne Catherine Berger. Um it was a post shot XG of 0.75 on that one. So it's a really, really, really important save from Berger. Um and I guess, again, just this, it would have been, like, I'm glad it didn't go in, but it would have been really interesting, I think, to see, like, how Chelsea had dealt with that because it felt like maybe that was, like, what they needed to sort of shock them into being, like, okay, like, this is, this is going to continue to not go our way unless, like, we start putting together good chances and, like, the the team's, like, the team goal for Sam Seconds, um, I think all but one player was involved in, in it, in the lead-up to it, um, a great assist from Johanna Ritten Canarid, who continues to amaze me in terms of like her levels of performance this season. Um, but it felt like, yeah, that was a really big turning point in the game. I think that Anne Katrinberger save. Yeah, I think it was the kick up the bun the players needed. Um, if you if you look at the time, like scoring the first couple of minutes after the start of the second half, if you just look at that, you think, oh, Chelsea started started the second half well just completely ignores the fact that, like you said, they had the, the really good save from Berger and then the shot after that just went wide. So within like the first couple of minutes, we've given them two chances to score. And the the move for Kerr's goal started with Lawrence winning the ball back, Lawrence winning the ball back basically on the Chelsea byline. So it, it was described as a counter-attack on Twitter that people weren't happy with that. and. Yeah, because I think that takes out the fact that it was a good passing goal. It was players looked calm on the ball. They weren't rushing anything. They picked the the right. They had the time to pick the right pass. Um, it's weird that the, yeah that moment of panic defensively did bring the calm that we needed, and that that's all we needed. Like once we looked calm and a bit more composed on the ball. It wasn't plain sailing, but the game was a lot more straightforward. And yeah, I'm, I'm here for this this Conrad. Um, can't even call it a a, a revival because she wasn't. <laughs> this, this, She's this, come uh, alive. Yeah, this arrival. Let's arrival. Call it. Um, yeah, that's it. Because even at the World Cup, I was there were some of the games, and I was thinking, she's the player. She's a good player, but she's the player you want involved before the assist. You know, she's the person running through the defence to then pass whoever, to whoever's going to set up the goal. Because I think her final third decision-making and execution just wasn't really up to scratch. But listen, you score against Aston Villa, you, you get the confidence, you know? And I think it was already pointed out 
that she had equaled her WSL tally for goals and assists. Now she's equaled her overall all competitions for goals and assists. Um, just I think it's it's one goal and four assists or five assists now. One goal and four assists in seven games. Like who who would have thought that last season? And I say that in the best possible way. I don't mean to disrespect her for last season, but she obviously just wasn't at the level that she is now. Maybe it's, you know, you take the Emma Hayes thing. Some signings take a year to to really get in into the swing of things and into the Emma Hayes system. And I think she's been really key in what we've been doing the past few weeks and all credit to her. Yes, as someone who's really benefited, I think, from from Guru's absence as well in terms of just being able to like really nail down some minutes. If if Guru was fit, it'd be interesting to see whether Canner would be playing, whether LJ would be sort of fitting in on that side potentially. But yeah, also something I noticed from from the stats, um, Canner had led the team of progressive carries six. Um, she had yesterday. Um, no one else had more than one. Um, which I think just sort of also shows like that willingness, which I think is something like when when I sort of watched her with Sweden and I was like, I don't understand why she can't quite replicate this with Chelsea, but is that sort of willingness to like get her head down and like drive with the ball and be a, be a like more natural winger because that is something that I felt like we were missing before, especially if when Guru wasn't available, because I think she obviously does that, but like, I think it's really useful to have someone who can do that on the right side, as opposed to like a Kirby or a James, who's going to, you know, want to cut in. Obviously, Beaver Jones, I think, can do a bit of that as well. But like, she seems to be able to do a bit of everything. So I don't think we're, we're quite figuring out yet exactly where um, she's going to end up. But Sam's third, her hat-trick goal. Very classic Sam. AKB assist on this one. Just pumping it along and letting Sam, you know, like freak the defenders out before uh, she just sort of chipped it into the goal. I love the way that like, she's just like oh, I can't really do anything with this from where I am. I'll, I'll just loft it in the air and see. It's almost like she's playing a game on the training ground. Like, oh, like, you know, I've got to go and do something else. Let me just see if I can, like, chip it into the back of the net. And, yeah, Ndozi looked very, very confused about what was going on. Um, she is added to the long list of goalkeepers that uh, Sam Kerr has chipped. Yeah, I mean, Sam had no right to be trying that shot. Like, a normal striker, any normal striker would maybe take the ball wide to try and like bring the shot there. But like you said, I think Sam, yeah, just let's see how many goals I can get on my highlight rule this this season. Um and I think the the great thing about it was the height that she got on on the on the shot that that really confused um Nandozi that she was almost having to look ver- vertically upwards to try and see where the ball was and it just Dropped perfectly under the crossbar. Like there was probably weren't even an inch between the ball and the crossbar. It was just so, so perfect. And that's that's Sam Kerr, isn't it? Like that's <laughs> the Sam Kerr we've come to know and love in ninety six goals for Chelsea now. Yeah, it's not the best for a podcast, but it's hard to explain. Like it's it's just <laughs> Sam Kerr, isn't it? Yeah. No, I know. And I I just think what's so impressive and yeah, Hayes, I guess, obviously talked about this afterwards, but, you know, I feel like all this season there's been a lot of chat, myself included, about like whether Sam is in like what form she's kind of in. And I think, you know, when I watch the Liverpool game back, I'm like, she is so involved in 
all of those goals, even though she doesn't get on the score sheet. And, you know, even before yesterday, she'd scored a really important goal against Everton. She scored a really important goal against Real Madrid. And like, these are the in the performances where you're like, she doesn't really do anything. She's still popping up and getting those moments. And then yesterday, it felt like one of those days where it all sort of comes together for her. And it, it just makes you realise like that she's kind of always doing those things. It's just they don't always come off. Um, and yeah, I mean, she clearly loves the Champions League group stages. I guess they it, they feel like games where maybe opposition aren't as familiar with her you know like at the end of the day like this is basically her fifth season in the WSL I know she sort of came in halfway through that first season but like in terms of WSL teams they're teams she's played tons and tons of times um and I do think there's a sense that sometimes in those games opposition defenses have a better idea of how to deal with her and that's why she sort of looks to to try and play in a slightly different way but in the Champions League where you know, you could see it in this game, you know, we're talking about those runs where, you know, twice she gets in just behind the defender to, to have tap-ins. Um, and that, I think, speaks to, like, them not really being able to to keep track of her. But, yeah, I thought it, it was amazing, obviously, I think, for, for have her wearing the armbands as well. It just felt like a really, really great night for her all round. Um, and it was great to see. Uh, and I think from there, it just became sort of about controlling the game. We made quite a few subs so we had Fischl come on we had Ingle come on uh Perise Mielder um pretty standard closing subs for us at this point in time um but I felt like to a certain extent by the time it was 3-1 Paris I think knew that this game was a bit beyond them yeah so they had a couple of chances I think one like 10 minutes ago AKB had to make a good save but apart from that, we yeah, we were in control when they had the ball. They didn't really look like troubling us too much. And I think it was a the contrast between the first half and the second half performance is was ridiculous. Like it was so far apart. And it's it was another one of those games where I think if you look at it as a whole, you'd see that Right, Chelsea weren't at their best. They've still scored four goals against a team that have knocked out Arsenal and Wolfsburg. And I think, like you said, the the subs really made a made a difference. I um think looking back to last week quickly, I think yes, the decisions were shocking against Real Madrid. But I think we lost we looked a bit leggy in the latter stages. And I think here Emma made sure that that wasn't a problem at all. She made sure that you know at three one, Paris goal get a, a fluky goal. Like Chelsea, you don't know how Chelsea are going to react. Like confidence could slip. You'd hope not, given like the winning mentality. But all you need is one fluky goal for them to get back in it. So I think that the subs, you know, bring in Ingelin to just not even slow down the midfield, just calm down the midfield, um, fresh legs up front, Mielder to keep things short at the back. I think Hayes gets a lot of criticism criticism for her, the subs she makes sometimes, and then the lack of subs. But I think she got it all pretty spot on last night. I, I don't think I'd... I don't think there's one sub where I thought, you know, maybe that should have been earlier, maybe that should have been for someone different. I think it, it all worked off worked well. 
Yeah, I, I thought, I think that's a really good point. It's, it was interesting to see, and I guess maybe a reflection of the fact that we weren't chasing the game in the same way we were uh, against Real Madrid, you know, that we had this buffer and we were able to make those changes and then having those fresher legs on the pitch um, allowed us to, to have uh, some more control. There was an appearance at Stamford Bridge for Alcio Abdelina as well on the Paris side, which was nice to see. Um, and then we finished off the game with a lovely little Sophie Ingle finish uh, to wrap it all up and I think just make the scoreline feel more comfortable than maybe the game was. The way I described this um, in my piece was I felt like the Real Madrid game was the scoreline didn't really match the performance in terms of like the performance was better than the scoreline suggested. I think this is the opposite way around. Like I don't I don't think the difference between the Real Madrid performance and this one is like super stark, but it, it you know, when you when you get those goals when you have, you know, that three goal buffer, it just looks better, doesn't it? Yeah, like it like you said, it, it and like I said, it it wasn't a four one performance um against a a team we know can do well. Um it was such a nice goal as well. Like I think Perisay's had a lot of praise this season for her deliveries, stats statistically. But if you watch her, mm. I think there's a couple of games where there's been lacking. But this one, it just it was perfect. Like into the space, Ingle made her run brilliantly, first time volley. Yeah, it was just a great way to cap off the night. Yeah, really nice, just nice worked um, corner routine. And I feel like that's something we don't always see enough of. Sometimes I feel like we're a bit too hit and hope on corners and it's nice to see when stuff like that is a bit different and it pays off. Um, I feel like this might be quite a predictable player of the match uh, discussion. I will give it to Sam. Are you going to be hipster and give it to someone else? No. <laughs> I was thinking, <laughs> no, could fair I? Enough. Uh, Conrad did well, but yeah, you got to give it to Kerr. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, like, she was the star and she's right to be recognised as the star. So let's take a little look at what happened elsewhere. We were actually the team this week that scored the most goals, which made me feel nice. Um, So Leon beat St. Poulton 2-0. Bram beat Slavia Prague 1-0. Bram are in a really good position in that group now. So um, it's kind of interesting to see who's playing out with some of the second place teams in these um, groups where there's like one clear favourite. Uh, Benfica beat Rosengard 1-0. Barcelona annoyingly came from behind to win 3-1 at Eintracht Frankfurt in a way that was totally predictable when Eintracht Frankfurt went ahead. Bayern Munich beat PSG 1-0, so PSG still on zero points. Uh, Roma beat Ajax 3-0 there, so Roma looking pretty good in that group um, at the moment. Um, and then the surprise result in our group was that Hecken came from behind to beat Real Madrid 2-1, which leaves Hecken on top. Six points. Uh, we're in second on four. Real Madrid are on one and Paris FC are on zero. Makes this December head-to-head that we've sort of got with Hecken really interesting, Harry. Um, we've got them at home first uh, and then we go to, to Sweden right before Christmas. I wanted to be in a position where I felt like this group was like pretty much wrapped up before we got into January. If we can get two wins in these games, I think it will feel very, very good from there. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, when the the draw was made and the fixtures first came out, I think people were looking at these two games as perhaps the easiest. I think people maybe they didn't know as much about Hecken as they do Real Madrid and Paris, or they just ignored 
I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on Hecken, um, but obviously they've shown that they're not here to make up, they're not in the group to make up the numbers, that this is a group of four pretty even teams. And I'm hoping that with them being out of season, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks' time, that that might play into our into our hands. But yeah, if we can come through that with six point with six more points, you know, hope for a draw in one of the, the Real Madrid Paris games. I'm pretty sure that's that would be qualification secured. Yeah, she's looking at quick maths. It's hard to figure out, isn't it, in terms of like how the Paris and Real Madrid ones, but we basically want them to sort of share the points, don't we? Mm. But I think that we've got quite a, it's quite a tough period there. That I think that will be season defining. Almost. But, you know, and hopefully the, the heck and home game. I mean, last Paris one, Paris SG last year was the couple of days before Christmas. This time they've got like a week before. So hopefully might encourage more fans to, you know, really reach that 5,000 5, number. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I think the thing about Hecken that is really it is really interesting is that they're sort of coming off the back of their season now. To that extent, us playing them in December is like, I guess, the middle bit of fine, but like it'll be interesting to see what they look like in January. Um, I mean, I do think regardless, like they're a good team, but they're a team we should still beat. Like, um, I, that's kind of how I felt about all the teams in the group. Like, they've all got their good and interesting points, but they're all teams that if you want to do well in the Champions League, you should make pretty light work of in my opinion um, but it'll definitely be interesting to see what they look like when they come to the bridge um, we have one more game before the international break so Leicester are coming to Kings Meadow on Sunday then everyone's off for a little bit uh, before we head to the Emirates for a game that I am dreading more and more with every passing day Hecken uh, in town on the 14th then we're away to Bristol and our final game of 2023 will be away at Hecken on the 20th of December so that's the run until Christmas. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how those games go. Um, I'm already dreading the international break because I just I feel like I get excited and I get the team gets going and then we have to stop all of a sudden. It's very, very irritating. But Harry, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate you giving up your time to come on the show. Chelsea fans, we will be back with you after that Leicester game. We'll be recording that on Sunday night, so it should be with you on Monday morning. But until then, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>